Hey, friends! Welcome to Talking by Myself. I'm your host, Layla Rosa. Hey, my friends, how are we all doing today? Yes, you. I don't know. I just feel like starting this podcast hella weird sometimes. Like, I don't know. Like, sometimes I'm just like, how the fuck do I want to start this? And I, I don't know. I just go with the flow, toss it all in there, see what happens, mix it up. Like, you're, you know, when you're cooking, you just throw a bunch of shit together and see how it turns out. Well, maybe I should maybe not throw a bunch of stuff together. I mean, there is some kind of method to the madness, is it not? I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just going on a fucking random tangent about cooking. This is not what I wanted to talk about. It's not. But hey, thank you for listening to last week's episode. If you haven't, go ahead and check it out right now. It's really a lot of fun. Had my brother on. Fantastic energy we had together. And it was great to just have, do a solo, or excuse me, a, um, you know, have a co-host for once. Jeez. And he did me justice. Uh, He really probably did a better introduction than I do most of the time. And he just has that, that great voice to deliver some, um, I don't know, podcasting. He's got a great voice. Um, so I'm so excited about today's episode because I actually feel like I have really cool content to share. And like some episodes I feel like, damn, I wish I had more to share, but this one I'm like, Oh, I have things to say and that's exciting. So I'm excited. Take a sip of my water. You know, I just got done with therapy, actually. Um, I'm seeing my my uh, talk therapist every other week right now. That's what I've been doing because I am doing EMDR every single week, as you've all known. Um, and they work on different things. So that's why you can really have different therapists for different things. Um, and uh, I just got out of session. It was actually a really good session. Um and I think also personally, I've just been feeling a little bit lighter. Um, there's probably a lot of components to to why that is. I'm not going to go there yet, but um, I just I have content I want to share with you all because I'm hoping that maybe it'll help you in the future too if you're on your journey to discovering more about yourself and uh, different types of I don't know treatment for wherever you are wherever you are in life and. I'm talking about something specifically. Um, I'm go ahead and touch on some of the topics that I'm going to be talking about today, just so you all know where I am headed with this pod. We are absolutely going to continue with Richard Rohr's The Universal Christ, um, and that will be chapter eight, I believe. That's what we're doing. I wrote in my notes. Yeah, chapter eight. Um, then I that's going to be towards the end of the pod, so that's going to be uh, at the end, as you all know. And at the beginning, um, I'm going to show a clip about uh, from Demi Lovato because not only is her new album Absolute Fire, but um, I've been listening to a lot of her interviews and stuff, and I found something that was personally, for me, super close to my own experience. Um, and I think it's interesting. to It has a lot of beautiful commentary. She says a lot of great things. I will let her speak for herself, and I'll play that a bit later. Um, and... There is another thing I'm going to talk about a bit in depth, and that would be, um, so when I was in Spokane, my mom has a PhD fellow um, classmate that she went to school with, 
when she was um, obtaining her PhD from Idaho, um, from Pocatello. That's where she, I forget what university that one is. I think it's Idaho State. I think that's the university in Pocatello. Wherever, the one in Pocatello, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so anyways, her, her colleague friend is a neurobiofeedback therapist. So I had the opportunity to speak with her and I toured her facility and I looked at some of the equipment that she uses on her, um, her clients is what we would probably call them. Or maybe, I don't know if she uses the term patients, but I've heard often clients use, so I'll go use that. Um, and it was just really cool. It's really fucking fascinating work. I encourage you to look into it if you're interested in for your own um, your own journey. Maybe if you want to work on, I don't know, healing parts of your brain. Because that's what it really kind of focuses on. It's pretty cool stuff. Um, but I have a lot to talk about. But we're not going to go there yet. First, I'm going to go ahead and start with where I am at. Um, some things I want to share with you all. And then I'm going to go ahead and venture into the topics that I have just mentioned. But yeah, I just, I had so much fun with my brother last week. It was a, it was a great time. It was great to be on vacation. Um, And I really noticed, I had a lot of revelations, I think. Like when, you know, when you go on vacation, you kind of have all these thoughts surface. I feel like your brain has a second to sort of breathe, right? To you know, and the change of pace, the change of scenery, um, and the newness makes you kind of be a bit out of your routine. And I think it's really healthy. So I really think that, first of all, something that I've noticed is that like, we all need a fucking vacation more often than we take them. Um, because it really does do something for us as humans. And I think that maybe the world would be a little bit less angry if we took time to go on vacation and just get outside of our own comfort zones and our own routines. And I cannot tell you how many people I've spoken to who don't want to go on vacation. And I'm just like, why? But it's such a deep issue. Um, I don't want to call it issue. It's, it's deep. It, I mean, there's reasons to why people sometimes don't enjoy vacations and stuff like that. But, um, I think it's a good practice. I think it's kind of a thing that we as humans, like, we have to make time and space for these things, you know, for, for space for ourselves and our minds and our, our, because there's more to life than just working fucking six days a week or how, how, however many days a week you work. And I know that some people have to work that much and I'm not, I'm not dishing on those people, but I'm just saying that, you know, take your vacations and let yourself experience other parts of life. Um, and I am, I realize as I'm saying this, I'm saying this to myself because homegirl needs to do that sometimes too. I definitely do. Speaking of which, so, um, I think I alluded to maybe a couple podcasts ago. I don't remember what I said. I try to remember so I don't repeat myself, but maybe I don't. But, um, so I'm officially got a cover letter down. I got my resume together. I'm going to be submitting to, uh, university positions for, theater for acting specifically and I am submitting across the country and to whatever I find because I especially when you're starting out you can't be too selective because you're at the bottom of the totem pole so I just actually did my first submission yesterday um to a university and it was 
pretty surreal. I was like really proud of myself that, you know, I haven't written a cover letter in literally like years or revamped my resume in years. And so kind of a bit of a wake up call and, um, and a one that I was really happy to pursue, even though I felt really like overwhelmed in the beginning when I decided to go down this path of finding employment. And another thing I've kind of been reflecting on is I think it's also at the same time, time for me to move on from the day job that I currently have. There's been a lot of turnover at this place and it is not surprising. I won't go into detail because I'm not going to bash the company, but um, it's, it's just becoming very evident to me and has been for a long time. And uh, it's about to be summertime up here in Reno. And so a great place to work. And I have serving experience is Lake Tahoe. So I think I'll go get myself a job somewhere up there, hopefully. We'll see. We'll see. I'll keep you updated. Who knows what's going to happen? Um, who really knows, right? But um, it's also good to see that and hear that I know a lot of my friends are getting vaccinated. A lot of people are being super proactive about it. I think that's really the right way to move forward. I'm personally, uh, I am pro-vaccine. Like, let's get vaccinated. Um and I myself have received the Johnson and Johnson um, about two months ago, and I did have symptoms. I don't know if I mentioned this. I had some shitty symptoms. I was like not feeling good for like four days, and I started to get nervous because I wasn't sure. Cause, like there was a bunch of reports with the J and J vaccine of people having really bad reactions, and I feel like I was just so anxious because I've had a reaction to something before. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't a vaccine. It was something else. But um, I was just like, oh, my God. And so it was a it was a surreal experience because um, I actually got it when they let certain essential workers get it. That's when I got it. And I got it through the county. Um, and uh, I actually ended up taking a Benadryl because they told me to <laughs> because I started to feel a little bit a little weird, like after the shot. But I think it's also because I fucking anxious about shots i mean uh, i'm not talking about like everybody's going around i've heard this all the time like oh i don't like shots well nobody likes shots but i'm talking i'm telling you like i literally have breakdowns sometimes like i got my blood drawn and i'm not gonna even lie this is an absolutely true story um i felt the needle move and i started crying so and the lady was really freaked out and i couldn't stop crying because i have such a (laughs) Um, I hate needles. I've always hated them since I was a kid. I used to be a horrible kid. I used to kick nurses when they were giving me shots. I was a big asshole. I was like one of those kids that were kicking and screaming because I didn't want to get vaccinated. That was me. But, um, you know, I worked through my shit and I got vaccinated. So I got the J&J vac um, about two months ago through the county. And um, I had symptoms for four days. I had a fever within six hours of getting the shot. I had really bad headache and it was starting to freak me out. Um, I had a headache that lasted for like four days. It was really weird. My, I was really fatigued. Um, and now my mom and I were just speaking about this this morning. They have apparently halted the J and J vaccine right now because I guess there was like some, um, some side effects that some people had had like a couple weeks later, they had like blood clots happening in their brain and stuff. And the J and J vaccine is different than the Moderna and the Pfizer because the J and J is a DNA based double helix based, um, vaccine versus 
the Pfizer and Moderna, which are an RNA vaccine. My mom is very intelligent and she informed me on all of this. She's a nurse, so, you know, she knows her shit. Um, anyways, uh, one and done for me, probably a good thing. I hate shots and, um, I'm a big baby. That is the moral of the story. Um, also just go get vaccinated. You know, if you can, I know some people can't because they're allergic to, um, they're allergic to the ingredients. And that was something I actually had to look at because, um, I, like I said before, I've had a, I've had a reaction to, to something. Um, so anyways, what else was I going to tell you? Okay. I, kind of love this. I told you guys I was going to go everywhere because why the fuck not? So I was speaking about Demi Lovato earlier and probably about two weeks ago when she released her album, Art of Starting Over. I think it's, I think that's the title or something like that. Um, but anyways, I've been a fan of her forever, like forever since Camp Rock days, you know, Camp Rock, that great, sh- I freaking love that movie. I was obsessed with it. I watched it twice, and I never watch movies twice. Um, but she, her voice struck me right away, so I've always been a big fan of her. Um, and so this is her on an interview with Drew Barrymore, and um, the the subtitle is How Cutting Her Hair Helped Free Her. Um, she went through a pretty drastic haircut, and as you all know, I cut my hair, and I actually cut my hair. Yeah, I cut it before Demi did, but <laughs> I love what she has to say here, and so I'm going to let... Y'all listen to what she has to say. I think it's pretty cool. And here you go. Judged by everyone, I'm just gonna say, look, your opinion about me doesn't mean 
Yeah, so her documentary is fucking wild. Um, I'm like three episodes, four episodes in, because it's like a series. I have to watch it in, in parts, but um, what she just said, yo, that's some true ass shit. Yeah, so what she said was just something that I totally, totally can relate to and very similar to sort of what I was feeling right before I cut my hair. I cut my hair last March, April, excuse me, last April. Um, and that was just like a month after like COVID really hit, especially the ba- the Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area, where my play went into, it closed down and I lost my other job, which I was an assistant teaching artist. And um, it was really the first time in my life after COVID happened and I came back to Reno that I had freedom to sort of change the way I looked. And I never had that because I always had to look like my headshot. And then there was also just personal insecurities that I dealt with. And I thought that I wasn't going to be feminine if I cut my hair, like I would make me more masculine. And I resisted my masculine qualities um, for a very long time. And I've come to realize that I am starting to embrace those qualities. And I'm not ashamed of that anymore but I've always been sort of a little bit feminine a little bit masculine I'm definitely I'm a I'm I'm a bit mixed in that um however you want to phrase that that's just what that's my truth like I'm not trying to say I'm not trying to insult anybody or anything I'm just saying that I've realized like there's qualities about myself that um and it's kind of cool because as an actor like it's allowed me some more flexibility I have played males before um and uh you know, I've played I played a lot of different characters, which is really cool. I've had that opportunity as an actor, and not everybody gets that. <laughs> um, and I've played very feminine characters, so it's it's cool to have that flexibility. And as myself, I feel that I'm always oscillating between one thing to the next. Like I'm always kind of just like, basically, I kind of play with the gender stereotypes and like just like to challenge it. And cutting my hair was just a challenge to that too. And I was also just sick of like kind of what she was saying. I was sick of like having all these standards put on me to be like appearing super feminine or whatever and like just denying parts of myself that I was like, well, sometimes I, you know, know that I'm a bit more masculine and I like that about myself. I'm not ashamed. Um, And so like anyways, I was just like, fuck it. I'm going to cut my hair. I did. I'm really stoked I did. Um, I went down. Originally, I was going to like shave it all off. But I ended up just like cutting it down to about an inch on top. And then on the sides is all the way down to my scalp. Uh, it was a weird thing. Uh, people's reactions were weird. I didn't feel weird doing it, if that makes sense. Like I was actually really excited and I felt really like in my own self. Like I felt really like connected to who I was inside, who I am inside. And I think the outward change was just an expression of what was already going on inside. Um, and it was really liberating and yeah, sure. A lot of women say that it could be cliche, but honestly for me, it really was. And I never thought I could do it. I was like for years I had fantasized about cutting my hair, but I never did it because like all those reasons I listed. And then when I finally did, it was just like a really cool experience. And I did record it, um, because I wanted to remember that moment, um, because I had never had that such of a drastic change 
And um, that's the reason I actually recorded it. And I know a lot of people do it for like uh, clickbait or whatever. But for me, it was just like this was really significant for my personal journey and growth. So, um, you know, it sounds silly, but yeah, it all started with the haircut in some ways. Um, but like I said, just kind of was a internal change and then outwardly was expressed. Um, and now I don't know. I don't know what I want to do with my hair, but I do know I'm getting a little bit sick of having the blonde. Um, not because I don't like blonde hair. I love it, but I just want to change it again because <laughs> I can. So I'm thinking about doing some other type of color. Um, I am growing the top out right now. The sides are still pretty short, but I'm enjoying playing with my hair as it evolves. And, you know, it's been, it's been a really interesting journey. There's been some really awkward stages for sure. Um, and the hardest part for me is to not want to cut the back because I hate when it starts to look like a mullet. I'm like, ew, I don't like, don't want a mullet ever. That's no offense to anybody who has one. I just personally don't like how I look with them, if that makes sense. Anyways, that is my little story. It's kind of a quick story about cutting my hair, but it was really a big thing. And um, yeah, like I said, I want to quickly turn around to something I skipped over. And because I, I get, I get, I hear this a lot from a lot of women. Um, they're worried about people how they perceive them and they're worried that they're not going to look good and stuff like that well let me just tell you my experience like when I cut my hair I had a lot of people ask me why I did it but not in a way of like curiosity it was more like a judgmental why did you cut your hair that type of tone and I could hear it in their voice so I'm not making this shit up um you know and they would say you just had such beautiful hair Uh, I can't believe you cut it all off and things like that which is really weird to be on the receiving end and at that stage of my life, I guess I wasn't really prepared for the amount of attention <laughs> I got from doing something that was for me, which is really weird. Um, but now, like, I feel very content with all of it. And I see those people's, like, like reactions as just, like, having to do more with them about their ideas of, like, what beauty is versus or even, like, women I don't know I don't fucking know but it has more to do with their own bullshit rather than it has to do with me because who I am is who I am and nobody can make you be who they want you to be so I just kind of be like whatever you can have your opinion but ultimately I feel happy with my decisions and that's all what matters because you know when you go to bed at night that's that's all it matters is like did you make a decision that you're proud of you know it's really interesting. I know it sounds silly, but people really get really attached to how other people look and they want you to stay that way because humans do not want change. They can't. We don't want change. We don't really. If you think about us as as our natural selves, we don't want change. We want consistency. We want control. So um, that was part of me letting go of control too, was just cutting my hair and stuff like that. But um, I did receive some positive comments, but there was quite a wave of negativity um, and it was really fascinating. And it, I don't know, I just tried to just move forward my life and then discover this new self with this new haircut and just kind of say like, fuck everybody else's opinions and just move on. So that's, uh, that's my personal experience. I hope it inspires anybody who's considering to change the way they look or whatever. Um, because you know what, why not? You know, I just was like this, I have one life, like let's mess around with what my hair looks like. Like it's such a simple thing, but it's pretty impactful. All right, let's go ahead and venture into talking about, uh, neurobiofeedback. All right. So 
quick story before I go into this uh, talking about neurobiofeedback related to it is um, my mom has a friend who she went to school with in um, Idaho State University and where she got her PhD in nursing. And there was a lady named Linda Larson in her PhD program. Um, And so when we were visiting my brother, um, Linda has an office in the Spokane Valley. And what her specialty is, is she is a neurobiofeedback therapist. Um, And she's an extremely intelligent woman. I had the opportunity to sit down and talk to her with my mom there. And also um, we, we toured her facility where she does the treatment for her clients and her specialty. I'm going to, I'm going to talk a little bit more about her in detail, but first quickly, she is like her thing that she primarily works on is she actually works with the perpetrators of violence. So whether it's domestic violence or whatever, it's the people who are, you know, committing the violence against another person. She actually works with those people specifically to, help basically re I don't want to call it rewire but it is kind of in a way of a rewirement of these people's brains and to awaken different parts of the brain to help regulate um, themselves and to change behaviors and the really amazing thing is the first thing I asked her is how successful is her treatment to the people that she uh, specializes in and she was like it's like 80% rate it's really really high and um Traditionally, in the past, a lot of these people are just like medicated, um, kind of like numbed out, and then like placed into institutions or whatever it is, or maybe jail if it's domestic violence or whatever. Um, but you know, this treatment has helped is a really high percentage rate, eighty um, percent. And the thing is, you would think that treatments like this would be really accessible. Um, to people who really need them. And, you know, lo and behold, healthcare in this country is fucked. I'm going to be super honest. Um, I speak to my mom about this a lot. She's a, she's a nurse and, you know, like the corruption of the healthcare system in this country. I think everybody knows this, but some people are under the delusion that it's not fucked up. And it is. Um, if you ever try to get help for anything, especially mental health, it's a struggle because it's stupid things with your insurance or whatever it is. But that doesn't mean that you won't be able to find resources. I'm just saying um, it doesn't make it very easy for people. Um, And this has been my experience as well. So I just want to quickly talk about neurobiofeedback a little bit. I'm going to talk about first about Linda and her background. So she completed her PhD from the Idaho State University with a focus on neurobiofeedback for her dissertation and research and has a master's degree in marriage and family therapy from Whitworth University. Linda has 15, over 15 years experience working with individuals, couples, and families, including court-referred. She is currently completing her BCIA certification for EEG biofeedback, neurobiofeedback. She is a certified, she is certified for critical incident stress management for the first responders dealing with trauma and is certified with the Gottman Institute for Couples Therapy. Linda was drawn to neurotherapy when her daughter experienced a traumatic brain injury while participating in an English horse show, uh, excuse me, English horse show jump. Oh my God, I used to do this as a sport and I can't even say it. English, English horse jumping show. It should, it that's poor, the way that's written, it should be show jumping just show jumping English 
it, there shouldn't be horse in there. It just should be English show jumping. Um, yeah, I don't know why that's like that. Anyways, when so continuing with her bio, when not working, uh, she enjoys the outdoors, hiking, biking, swimming, or working out of the gym. As a private pilot, flying is a special day. I can't believe she's a pilot too. This lady's incredible. She really is. All right. Um, so if you don't know what neurobiofeedback is, I'm going to go ahead and tell you all what neurobiofeedback is. So this is from her packet that she gave me. So this is actually an um, original resource. This is her personal packet that she gives to clients, and she gave me one. Um, and I'm really excited to share this with you. So neurobiofeedback, also known as EEG biofeedback, is a groundbreaking technique to help the brain learn to function more efficiently. It is a it is an important technique in our integrative neurotherapy services. This powerful brain-based technique has been successfully helping clients around the world for over 30 years. Neurobiofeedback uses real-time displays of brain activity. Most commonly, I'm not going to really, I can say this word, but it sounds really weird. It's uh, electrocephalograph. Oh my God. Anyways, it, the, the acronym is... EEG, like I was telling you earlier, and it is to teach self-regulation of the brain function. Typically, sensors are placed on the scalp to measure activity, with measurements displayed using video displays or sound. Think of neurobiofeedback as a personal training session for the brain. Training the brain to function at its maximum potential is similar to the way the body is exercised, toned, and maintained. Brain training exercises the neuropathways that allow the brain to have better function in a variety of areas. Neurobiofeedback is direct training of brain function. With neurobiofeedback training, the brain learns to function more efficiently and allows an individual to learn voluntary control over his slash her slash they, um, theirs, excuse me, their brains, electrical activity, or brain waves. This is a gradual learning process. It applies to any aspect of the brain function that we can measure. Neurobiofeedback is training in self-regulation, which is a necessary part of good brain function. Self-regulation training allows the central nervous system and the atomic uh, nervous system to function better. All right. Um, and then what's really cool about this, and I can't really share this on the podcast, is that um, there's actually like a continuum it's called a cartography of consciousness if you look that up online i'm pretty sure you guys can all find it it's just really interesting because it talks about like when something becomes um like a hypervigilant response which hypervigilance is related to ptsd um it's not always meaning that you have ptsd or complex ptsd um but it, it's just interesting so if you want to look up something called the cartography of consciousness it's fucking interesting. Um, so neuro, I want to talk about what neurotherapy can be used for, for tr different like things they use it for treating people um, with these different uh, things that they're experiencing. So uh, I'm going to just list off the things. So one of them is attention deficient disorder or ADD or ADHD, addictions, autistic spectrum disorders, chronic pain, reactive attachment disorder, also known as RAD. That's like found in children usually. Um, and then headaches slash migraines, hypertension, learning disorders, trauma, post-traumatic stress or PTSD, sleeplessness, stress, stroke, symptoms of anxiety, symptoms of depression, symptoms of head injury. I love that it says symptoms of anxiety because or symptoms of depression because um, 
in my experience with my personal uh, journey with uh, anxiety is that it is a lifelong process and it is lifelong management, lifelong management. There is no cure, but you can learn how to manage it. All right. Um, what else? Okay. All right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so look up that cartography of consciousness. Okay. And then real quick. So on the cartography of consciousness, there's like different categories. And I just want to explain something called brave, uh, excuse me, brain wave frequency, simple descriptions. So maybe some of you are familiar with different brain waves, but I think this is super interesting stuff. So I'm going to go ahead and read a little excerpt from each type of brain wave that they measure in the cartography of consciousness. Okay. So the first one is known as Delta. Delta waves are most common when sleeping, but also can be active if there has been a head injury or other significant trauma. The brain goes into sleepy mode in order to heal. Unfortunately, it can sometimes get stuck in those patterns. Next one is Theta or Theta. Theta waves are also slow waves and are often associated with twilight states such as the the that between sleep and wakefulness it is abnormal in wake adults and predominant in children with add slash adhd if theta waves are particularly active when awake it may feel foggy making it hard to focus and to concentrate next one is alpha waves are associated with an ability to self-soothe and resolve trauma slash stress we should have alpha waves very active um, excuse me, I just lost my place. We should have alpha waves very active in the back of our heads when our eyes are closed. Having very active alpha with eyes open or in other parts of the brain may feel, qu- uh, quote, spacey. Beta, it's the last one. Beta waves are the fastest and most active form of brain wave and is associated with focus and concentration. It dominates our normal waking state has been sub- subdivided into low beta, beta, and high beta. Low beta is characterized as a relaxed but alert state. High beta may be described as a hyper alert state, sometimes leading to tension, anxiety, and agitation. All right. And that's pretty much the packet that she shared with me. There's also some, like, um, she does actually also do EMDR. Um, and the thing she said to me was like, and I, cause I told her I was in EMDR and she was like, Oh, EMDR is so powerful. And she said that she uses that in addition to the neurobiofeedback to treat because EMDR is different. Um, it's, it's mostly used to, uh, treat emotional, emotional trauma, trauma. And it's, um, it helps, you know, the brain heal naturally through, I guess, like awakening the, the brain to it's complicated look it up i don't know i already told you all this i'm not gonna repeat myself it's i'm doing it and i'm just like i know what's happening in my brain but i can't like tell you what exactly happened each session because it's it's so deep it's so kind of um untangible you know what i mean like it's a it's a very interesting experience i have that actually in about a couple hours i'm about to go to my emdr session too um so y'all see that i've been doing it for about uh, a couple months because it it's it it can take time and I um I actually have something that's a little bit more like there's PTSD and there's a difference between PTSD and complex PTSD I'll probably talk about the next podcast there's a, a difference even though 
Um, complex PTSD is not officially in the in the DSM five. They tried to they tried to get that um, as a, a category and they denied it. And um, the body keeps the score. The book I'm reading actually talks about because he tried to be on the submitting. He tried to submit for complex PTSD to be included in the DSM five, but um, there is a rejection. Um, from from that department so i'll talk about that a little bit more in detail it's really interesting stuff but um anyways so i am going to go ahead and we're going to move forward past the neurobiofeedback we're going to go ahead and move into the last part of the podcast which is going to be um, a very short chapter it's very short everybody it's from the universal christ by richard Rohr. it is chapter eight and it is part two of the book it is the very first chapter of part two so stay tuned all right, here we're going to jump into The Universal Christ by Richard Rohr, Chapter 8, Part 2 of the book. And I was reading the title of Part 2 of the book, and you know what I saw? This is what my brain likes to do. It's really annoying sometimes. So it does actually say the great comma, but what I saw was the great coma. <laughs> It's very different. So the the title of part two is The Great Comma. All right. Um, And the chapter title of chapter eight is Doing and Saying. Here we go. If you worship in one of the more liturgical Christian traditions, you probably know the opening words of the Apostles' Creed by heart. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. But have you ever noticed the huge leap the creed makes between, quote, born of the Virgin Mary and, quote, suffered under Pontius Pilate? A single, a single comma connects the two statements and falling into that yawning gap as it, as if it were a mere detail is everything Jesus said and did between his birth and his death. Called the great comma, this gap certainly invites some serious questions. Did all the things Jesus said and did in those years not count for much? Were they nothing to believe in? Was it only his birth and his death that mattered? Does the gap in some ways explain Christianity's often dismissal record record of intimidating Jesus's, excuse me, imitating Jesus's actual life and teaching? There are other glaring oversights in the creeds believed to be the earliest formal declaration of Christian belief. The Apostle Creed does not once mention love, service, hope, the least of the brothers and sisters, or even forgiveness. Anything, actually, that that is remotely actionable. It is a version in a philosophy statement with no mission statement, as it were. Twice, we are reminded that God is almighty, Yet nowhere do we hear the mention that God is also suffering or all vulnerable, although it does declare that Jesus suffered, died, and was buried. With with its emphasis on theory and theology, but no emphasis on, um, I'm not really sure, praxis, maybe is the correct word of how to say that. 
The creed sets us on a course we are still following today. That's an interesting point. The Apostles' Creed, along with the later... Um, I'm not sure how to say that. There's another creed, apparently, um, is in an important document of theological summary and history. But when the crowd at my parish mumbles hurriedly through its recitation each Sunday, I'm stuck by how little usefulness or even interest the creed seems to bring as guides for people's daily practical behavior. I hope I am wrong, but I doubt it. Both creed both creeds reveal historic Christian assumptions about who God is and what God is doing. The, they reaffirm a static and unchanging universe and a God who is quite remote from almost everything we care about each day. Furthermore, they don't show much in, interest in the realities of Jesus' own human life or ours. Instead, they portray what religious systems tend to want, a God who looks strong and stable and in control. No. Turn the other cheek, Jesus. No hint of a simple Christ-like lifestyle is found here. You might wonder why I'm bothering you with this little bit of historical and theological trivia. Here is the reason. When our tradition chooses an imperial Christ who lives inside the world of static and mythic proclamations, it frames Christian belief and understanding in a very small box. The Christ of these creeds is not tethered to earth, to a real historical flesh and blood Jesus of Nazareth. Instead, it is mostly mind with little heart. All spirit and almost no flesh or soul is our only mission to merely keep announcing our vision and philosophy statement. Sometimes it has seemed that way. This is what happens when power and empire take over the message. Did you know that the first seven councils of the church agreed upon both East and West were all either convened or formally presided over by emperors? This is no small point. Emperors and governments do not tend to be interested in in an ethic of love or service or nonviolence, God forbid, and surely not forgiveness unless it somehow helps them to stay in power. For all who have tried to know Jesus without Christ, many of the core church teachings offered a disembodied Christ without any true human Jesus, which was the norm for centuries in doctrine and in art. Art is the giveaway of what people really believe at any one time. It bears repeating what John Dominic Crusson, I'm assuming how to say his name, demonstrated in his masterful study about Eastern and Western images of the resurrection, we had two extremely different theologies of its very meaning. The West declared, quote, Jesus rose from the dead as an individual. The Eastern church saw it as in at least three ways. First one, the trampling of hell, the corporate leading out of hell, and the corporate uplifting of humanity with Christ. That is quite different message. That is a quite a different message. But after 10, 1054, we had little knowledge of each other. Whoops, got turned the page. Since each considered the other side uh, heretical. Perhaps this was the worst his historical result of our dualistic, non-contemplative thinking and practice. All that remains in Western church was the one line in that same Apostles' Creed, 
quote, he descended into hell, but no one really was sure what that meant. In the second half of this book, I'd like to consider how an understanding of Christ can revolutionize how we practice our faith in big ways and small. For me, mere information is, is rarely helpful you, unless it, is, it also enlightens and amorizes your life. In Franciscan theology, truth is always for the, be- for the sake of love and not an absolute end in itself, which too often becomes a worship of an I- ideology. In other words, any good idea that does not engage the body, the heart, the physical world, and the people around us tends to be more theological problem-solving and theory than any real healing of people and institutions, which ironically is all is about all Jesus does. The word healing did not return to mainland Christian, Christian vocabulary until the 1970s, and even then it was widely resisted, which I know from my own experience. In the Catholic tradition, we pushed healing off till the very last hour of life and called the sacrament extreme um, unic unction. I'm not really sure how to say that word. Ugh, there's too many words in here that I don't know how to say. Apparently not aware that Jesus, Jesus provides free health care in the middle of life for people who were suffering. And it was not just an extreme measure to get them into the next world. You wouldn't guess this from the official creeds, but after all is said and done, doing is more important than saying. Jesus was clearly more concerned with the Bud- what with what the Buddhists call, quote, right action. I just learned about this. I love that. I just learned about right action. It's pretty awesome. Um, and it, in Christianity, is known as orthopraxy. I'm assuming maybe that's how you say that. Um, spelled O-R-T-H-O-P-R-A-X-Y, than with right saying or even right thinking. You can hear this message very clearly in the parable of the two sons in Matthew uh, chapter 21, verses 28 through 31. One son says he won't work in the vineyard, but then does, while the other one says he will go, but in fact doesn't. Jesus told his listeners that he preferred the one who actually goes, although saying the wrong words, over the one who says the right words but does not act. How did we miss that? Humanity now needs a Jesus who is historical, relevant for real life, physical and concrete like we are, a Jesus whose life can save you even more than his death. Let that sink in right there. Let that sink in. A Jesus we can practically imitate and who sets the bar for what it means to be fully human and a Christ who is big enough to hold all creation together in one harmonious unity. In the remaining pages of this book, allow me to offer you such a Jesus and such a Christ. That is the end of chapter eight of the universal Christ. Okay. I was having a thought and I would love for you, if you would like to share your experience of your beliefs, if you have a belief system you would like to share or your personal story of your faith or whatever it is, um, or lack saying, I don't, I'm an atheist or whatever. I don't care. Just email me, email me at talking by myself podcast at gmail.com. That is once again, talking by myself podcast at gmail.com. Um, yeah, tell me about it. I would love to know your stories. Um, 
I do not have to share them on here unless you specify that, but I just am curious about other people's walks as I am venturing on my own journey of discovering, of discovering, that's it. Okay, cool. Look forward to hearing um, from you all. And also we will see you next week. Take care of yourselves, my friends.